I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I think you can hear me better this week. I'm still not 100%, but definitely more of a voice than I had last week. So um, thank you for those people who uh, reached out and uh, offered their best wishes. <laughs> Very much appreciated. Now, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to educationonfire.com forward slash support. Any small donation just helps us to kind of keep the lights on, as it were, for Education on Fire and, and keep us moving in the right direction and the ability for us to be able to to expand and, and keep bringing this content to you, obviously free of charge for the podcast. Now, community is something we talk about a lot here on the show. And so today I'm delighted to be chatting to Nathaniel Provincio. Now, Nathaniel has worked in the public education field since 2001 as a classroom teacher, building administrator and associate superintendent. In 2010, he became principal of Miniville Elementary in Prince William County. Under his leadership, Miniville Elementary was recognised as Virginia Distinguished Title I School, became a national model professional learning community and was the winner of the 2019 Richard Dufour PLC Award. He is also the author of Community Connections and Your PLC at Work, which focuses on how schools can utilise the professional learning community framework to enhance family and community engagement. So this conversation is right in our wheelhouse in terms of how we believe we can make a real difference in children's lives. So I hope you really enjoy this, my conversation with Nathaniel Provincio. Hi Nathaniel, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's always great to chat to people from the US and I think it's always great to chat to people who are thinking about education out of the box, having been involved in education and knowing sort of where that sort of next element is as we start to progress into into the new world, as it were, which I think is where education wants to go, even though it feels like sometimes that can be tricky. So yeah, thanks so much for being here. Oh, you bet, man. Thanks for having me. Really, really excited. So take us into that sort of journey so far from sort of that being in the classroom. I know you've had lots of jobs within the system itself and, and why you're sort of taking yourself into your sort of current role. Yeah, you know, I, I joke around that I've had every job from substitute to superintendent. For, so from sub to soup, and and it's been a, a really awesome journey. Uh, absolutely love education. I just firmly, firmly believe that education is the profession that makes all professions possible, right? And, you know, I, I had just some great experiences as, as a classroom teacher. I was a third grade teacher. Um, I was an assistant principal, a principal. I was in the superintendency and I was in the superintendency right before and during and right after COVID. So and that was a very, very, very challenging time. And as I kind of like was sitting there at the end of my superintendency journey, I remember I was in a, a, a school board meeting in America. You know, we have these big school board meetings, yeah. be very highly politicized and very political. And and I'm sitting there and where the audience is starting to get rowdy and starting to get almost a little violent. And 
And I just remember sitting there thinking to myself, ah, is this, is this really how I want to finish out my career? You know, with this type of, there's so many kids that need help. There's so many schools that need help. And maybe this, maybe my personal mission is bigger than a zip code. And maybe I need to really start thinking about what I can do to help truly serve kids and teachers and teams and principals. And maybe I should look at a different route. And I decided to start my own leadership consulting business and uh, started partnering with some ed some outstanding educational leadership um, service providers. And now I travel about 200 days a year and it's just it's been really, really awesome to serve in a different capacity and serve where I can feel like I can truly make a difference at this time. So, and, and I get to talk to folks like you from all over the world. So that's also really, really exciting. Yeah. And I think for me, it was certainly that I was sort of going into lots of schools doing my sort of rhythm workshops and that kind of thing. And it was that ability to see there was lots of obviously people struggling um, because mm. as we know the education system is sort of heavily tested and, and people sort of got into the profession like I say to make that real difference but sort of swamped in, in so many different ways but I was I was able to see lots of amazing things and sort of imaginative things happening that I thought well mm. if I can share those things then fantastic hence the, sort of the podcast sort of got going but I think it's it is a different um sort of view of education isn't it when like say you've gone to lots of schools spoken to lots of people and you get that sort of global idea rather than like right. say just that sort of zip code that's right and you know there are trends and patterns and and themes and there's a there's a rhythm and flow to the successes that we have in american school systems and then there's also some patterns and trends with some i don't want to call them failures but some opportunities that we really sometimes we just need to think about things at a in a different and with a different mindset. Um, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I think Einstein said that. But and I and I see a sense of trying to quote accelerate learning and expedite learning from the from the pandemic with some with some very traditional ways, some silver bullet mentalities. You know, let's just buy more materials. Let's just jump on the latest whatever fad research is. Um, let's buy more stuff. And I got to tell you, market. I don't know if that's going to be the answer. I don't, what I'm seeing right now is not in the, it's not that we need to invest in more stuff. We need to invest in staff. And that's kind of the, the, you know, we don't need to invest in programs. We need to invest in people. That's what I'm seeing. And I, I just see a little bit of a missed opportunity with that. And especially not only our principals and our school heads and our leaders, but also our teachers, our community, how are we empowering the community that we serve both inside the school and outside the, the school. Can we start looking at, at a service mindset, at an experience mindset for everyone, as opposed to just layering on more stuff to do, more stuff to do, more stuff to do. Let's take that stuff off of our plate and let's put the right people on our plates and, and try to serve in a, in a, in an emotionally intelligent kind of way. And, and that's some of the things that I see out there in schools across, across America. And I think for me, it is that kind of breadth of what's happening, but it's also kind of this way in terms of, you know, the age and the experience of educators and people involved in education. I know um, my wife recently had a meeting with somebody um, and she's a, a plays the violin, but she'd been sort of working for a, a music hub here. Um, and they had this conversation of, you know, this is sort of the next thing that's happening in the latest initiative in the latest program. And I'm all from getting music going more and more in schools you know as a, as a musician and I, I know you're a, a keen drummer yourself but <laughs> but it but it really is that sense of she was sort of able to say 
I really understand this. She said, but I was doing this like 30 years ago. You know, this isn't mm. new. It's just repackaged. It's just in a, <laughs> just in a different way. Um, and also she said, it's interesting that you're sort of telling me this now, but no one actually asked me about anything about this in the last however many years I've been sort of working for you sort of uh, on the mm. sort of the periphery. She, she was sort of working sort of self-employed within the organization. And she said, you know, we could have had these conversations, you know, but it wasn't something that was on sort of front of mind for everybody. And it's so like, say so that reinventing the wheel, but repackaging is just, such a it's a waste of time yeah. and energy when you kind of have a lot of the answers are there already i think absolutely absolutely so yeah so you know i've had in my school experience as a as a teacher and as a as a you know as a school leader and now kind of like looking at things at a national level i i try to all, have always been very you know open to the conversations and the the encounters that i've had with my students my parents my teachers and my staff and as i've tried to be very in tune and very intentional with those conversations. All of those stakeholders have played a very, very huge impact in the way I lead schools now from my interactions with students, from my interactions with teachers, from my interactions with uh, classified staff to, to parents and families. And I think that as we start to really be intentional about how we serve those key stakeholders and how we work to provide experiences, how we listen to their stories and use their stories as our filter of providing an exemplary customer service and experience in our schools. I think that's what's always helped me when I have had success. It's not because of me, it's because of who I've been around. And those are some of the stories I'd like to like to share with you, um, you know, about, you know, from from a student level to a faculty level to a parent level, because I think that's how we improve schools. We improve schools about investing in those we serve, not with what products we buy. Yeah. So, so take us into some of that because um, community is such a big thing that we hear a lot. Like, say, whether that's you know within the school community itself, the the relationships, like I said, between the schools and parents and home, and also the businesses and the organisations out of it. Because the one thing I think that's become really clear here since 2016 when we started the podcast is that. The child has to be at the center of that and we're all stakeholders in one way or another and each child has a different set of community around them and obviously they've got a different skill set and passions that they want to go in so yeah take us into some of those stories and how some of those things are sort of affected affected children sure sure you know i'll um i'll start with uh, a student um we'll, we'll change his name to protect the innocent you know we'll we'll, we'll, we'll just call him we'll call him uh, uh alfred okay and so Alfred, when I, when I was a first year or second year principal, uh, I was the principal of a school that was kind of on the, on the decline. Our, our, our state reports were not doing very well. Um, uh, we, we were trying to become what's called in America, a professional learning community, a PLC based school. Um, but we were just kind of like grabbing at anything that was trying to, trying to fix us. And I had this one particular student, Alfred, who was in trouble constantly. He was always in my office. You know, he was the kid that, you know, people were just sending him out of the, the, the classroom, sending him to my office. And I, I, I liked the kid. I, I always had a good time with him. So, so every time he was in my office, I might, I might have got distracted, but we would end up having these conversations because um, I wouldn't suspend him. Because if I suspended him and kicked him out of school, where's he going to go? You know, so I, I kept him in my office. Even though I know a lot of our teachers probably wanted him to go home, I kept him. 
so as I started listening to his story, I mean, this, this child was from West Africa. He was from a very, very impoverished community in West Africa. He as a, at a young, young age, he was kind of ripped from his community. There were lots of turmoils, lots of issues going on. And he landed, landed with us at our school. Right. And so he was, he was transitioning. He had a lot of trauma going on. He didn't know what, how to sit in a classroom and, and do all these things. And, and we, we had a lot of supports for this child. And so one day, Mark, and I said, you know what, instead of you spending the day with me in my office, how about we change that script around and I spend the entire day with you? Like, I'm just going to go to your house. We're going to catch the bus. We're going to, we're going to eat breakfast together. We're going to ride the bus together. And I'm going to go in all of your classrooms. And I just want to see what the day is like through your eyes. Right. And long story short, when I was in his classrooms and when I was seeing the, the, the interactions between him and his teachers and, and every five minutes, there was a knock on the door, some other specialist pulling him out, pulling him out to give service after service after service. I was exhausted just following him around. And no wonder why he wasn't feeling connected. No wonder why he wasn't feeling um, like he had a place in the classroom because all he knew was change and turmoil. And yet here in our school, we're creating an ecosystem of change and turmoil. And so he is operating in the experience that he knew the best. So that one experience of spending a day with one child, Mark, as a principal, that was the best PD I ever had. So then I could be able to not only serve him better by seeing the, the day through his perspective, but then I could serve all of our students. And so from that one day, we started streamlining our inclusion model. We started bringing teachers inside the classroom as opposed to pulling, pulling kids out of the classroom. And I got to tell you, that was like the absolute greatest professional learning I ever had as a school leader, just by spending a day through a child's eyes, walking their footsteps, walking their journey. So I would challenge any uh, school heads or principals that are listening to this, turn off your radio, right? Put it aside. Let your let your assistant principal be in charge and follow around your most at promise student all day and see what kind of experiences you can then create from that. Yeah, I really love that. And I, I love the program Undercover Boss. And it, uh, that seems right. to be that, yeah. that, that kind of, you know, we've been trying to tell you so many things for so long. The employees are telling the boss. And when, when the boss is there experiencing, they're like, I can't move this. Or why is this computer system working? Or why are we doing it in this particular way? And they're like, we know. <laughs> and then it becomes so blatantly obvious, doesn't it? And, and I think then, you know, experience is key. And like I say, to actually physically see it and uh, emotionally sort of be aware of it it's it has to be a game changer oh yeah absolutely and and it's and so then you like when you can obviously our students are our most important customers right and we have to not only serve serve our students but we also have to give them experiences that are memorable mark when you and i are you know sitting at a pub and we're talking about you know our childhood experiences we're not talking about the tests that we took we're not talking about the the, you know, the curriculum, we're talking about experiences, the memories. And, and I think that we, if we can create more experiences and more memories for not only our students, but for our teachers and for our families, well, then our brand, our mystique as a school starts to, starts to really enrich. I, I remember, you know, our print, our, our teachers, Mark, are just the most precious, precious resource that we have. And in America, I don't know, I don't know how it is in England after in, in, in Great Britain after the pandemic. But right now, I mean, 
teachers aren't coming into the profession. They are, they're just, they're just not there. I remember as a principal, you know, I would get a hundred resumes in an hour when I was looking at, you know, in 2005. Now our principals are lucky if they have one resume for some of our vacancies. And, and I just think that it's, we've demonized education so much as a culture that people are turning away from that. So in order to attract the best and in order to not only attract the best, but keep the best, we have to make sure that we're branding our excellence like we've never had before. And our principals and our school district leaders have to be empowering um, opportunities to to really make sure that our teachers have everything they need, are taken care of physically, emotionally, um, spiritually in, in a way. And we have to make sure that our teachers are not working in isolation anymore. We have to make sure that the parameters are being created so our teachers are collaboratively working to take care of so many of these issues that, we, that we're having as a school. Um, you know, one of the first things that we did when I was a principal was in order to help kind of like create like bonding experiences and and teamwork and collaboration is that we created something at our school called an amazing race. I don't know if you've ever heard of that show where teams travel around the world and they try to, you know, answer like puzzles or whatever. So we wanted to do something very similar at our school. And we we did this as when I was a principal at the start of every year. So basically what we would do is we would take our teacher teams and for like a whole day, we would have them create uh, answer puzzles and create challenges together, um, find different locations within the school together, find, you know, try to like find clues and do things in different parts of our school community that we served, not only to help build their teamwork, but also to get our teachers to know the community that they were serving. And so one of the um, games or contests that would, that each of our teams would do is that they would put together a school, like a desk or like a homework desk from that company. What's that Swedish company? Ikea? I don't know, something like that, whatever. And, you know, nothing will build teamwork, Mark, like putting a desk together with one of those <laughs> dumb little L, L tools or whatever. So imagine five or six teachers trying to put a desk together. They're fun. They're doing these things. They're creating experiences. But then the last challenge of this amazing race contest that we would have our teachers do is they would take that desk and then they would drop it off to a child's home who actually needed a desk to do homework. This was awesome. And so just those types of little things, yeah, they're, they're fun, they're cute, but they counted. And, and, I, and it wasn't that I came up with that. I listened to the teachers and the, the assistant principals that I had and the team leaders that I had around me to help me be open to these types of opportunities. Now, if we can create those kinds of experiences for our teachers and our teams, that's the kind of place that people want to be, be a part of. If we can create cultures of celebration and recognition and acknowledgement and doing things that's meaningful and giving teachers all the resources they need to be successful, those are experiences for our teachers and our teams as well. So just like we want great experiences with our students, we want great experiences with our teachers and our teams. And I think that experience and I think that sort of global idea of what that's about is really key isn't it because like you said when you're setting those challenges up you know that bigger picture you know the teamwork that's going into it you know the child that's going to benefit you know the the emotions that these people are going to go through to do that and I think that's one of the things we have to remember as educators is the fact that as the more experienced person not the teacher necessarily but the more experienced person in, in this relationship in this learning experience 
We mm. want to give them those experiences and we understand what's possible, even though the child themselves might not know at that moment, that's where our experience comes in and where we have that that added benefit to be able to say, look, we know this is going to make a big difference. And then, like say, the nitty gritty of the exact curriculum and the way that you go about it and all that comes out from a really sort of whole sort of um, sort of centered idea of what you want them to experience. Yeah, I mean, and so I, I get it. I know that a, a school principal's chief job is to be the the CEO, the chief education officer. I, I, I get it. Um, but here's, and, and so when it comes to our teachers and our teams, we also want to give them the parameters to have experiences together with their team through instruction. Absolutely, right. That's that's our that's our that's our key, and so I use this acronym for when I'm training principals and I'm working with teachers and teams. I have this acronym called GREATS that I use, and it's basically a way to cultivate instructional experiences through the team. So if you and I are on a team, um, this GREATS acronym is that, and we're going to start from the bottom. Is that the first thing our teams have to do is they have to synergize the standards, like. We have standards in America that are like the, the essential standards that we want to curriculum focus that we want to make sure that we that we do a good job with. Well, a school principal has to create the parameters for teams to get the most out of each other. So the first key habit is to give them the resources and materials to synergize the standard. And then we have to T stands for test the test. We want to make sure that we're backwards planning, looking at an assessment, making sure that the assessment meets the demand of the standard. And then from there, our team needs to cultivate activity, align activities and strategies. So that's the A, right? So what activities and strategies can we use to make sure that our students do a great job with the test that also meet the, meet the standards? And then we can have an opportunity for our teams to uh, cultivate experiences for differentiation. So the E stands for how are we going to enrich and extend the material for the kids? R stands for how are we going to remember to remediate? So differentiate and provide scaffolds for the students. And then the G, that acronym stands for generate a goal. So a team that can generate a goal around remediation, enrichment, alignment of activities, looking at the tests and making sure everything aligns to the standards, that's an experience teams can have that the, the, the principal can create so that teachers don't have to work together. So these are just little things that I've come across through my travels and things that I've kind of cultivated that really, really work within our school. So it doesn't matter what stuff you're using, but it does matter the staff that you have. And do they have experiences around teamwork, collaboration? That That's memorable for, for, for our teachers and our faculty as, as well. And it's really, it really is key that, isn't it? And uh, when you're sort of going around and, and you're chatting within the, the school situation, does that kind of, does that change depending on who you're speaking to? If it's specifically a teacher rather than a principal or or that kind of thing, do you, or is it the fact that we're all in this together, you just kind of take the your perspective of it in a different way, depending on who you are? Yeah, it's a, such a great question. It really depends on the priorities of the school leader and the priorities of the school leaders' supervisors. So if your supervisor is pushing you, Mark, as the principal, to be a CEO, a chief education officer, and is giving you the parameters to make sure teams are working uh, collaboratively, that you're creating service and experiences for your students and your families, then the principal will probably do that. But if your district supervisor is totally about compliance 
and box filling and check off the, you know, check off the list and manage this and, you know, mandate this, then a principal can only do what can only operate in the environment that they're in. So we put a lot of pressure on principals, but from someone who served at, at a district level, we need to make sure that we're reminding our supervisors and our superintendents to give our principals the, the parameters and the, and the priority to be educational leaders and not compliance officers. So when I'm working around schools, I can see the principals that are all in with instruction, all in and creating services and experiences for their community, that, that means that they have supervisors that are allowing them to do such. But when I see principals that are putting out fires and dealing with managerial issues and compliance, then it's probably because their supervisors are, are asking them to do such, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So following on from that then, what do you think are the key people? And it, of course, it depends on who you're talking to. Mm. So that, that kind of, you know, you need to make sure that, you know, the people in charge really do have this idea of what education can be which can then filter down through and i think that then you start to see real change within a school and the community at that point but if you're a teacher who's really getting this and really wants to make a difference but they're within a system maybe that's not quite as sort of enlightened as that for, for want of a better word mm. what what can they do or what can you do to sort of help them to kind of think well you can still make a difference in the here and now even like say if the culture is not quite where you'd like it to be it's a wonderful question i I think sometimes in education, educators really like to learn from educators. Like we have like kind of like an echo chamber when it comes to, you know, educators are trying to get better. So we listen to educators who have done the work and vice versa. But I think that educators can learn a lot from the corporate world, the, the for-profit world. And, and it is totally okay to learn from businesses that are trying to make money because they've had to survive and thrive to creating good customer experiences, um, you know, in order to, 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 to stay alive, basically. And so when you just asked me that question, the first thing that I thought about was the Toyota car company. Now, hear me out. Okay, I'm going to make a really crazy connection. But when Toyota, after World War II, was starting to try to figure out how to compete and to survive as a car company, uh, they worked with a gentleman from America called Deming. Mr. Deming and Mr. Deming helped create, worked with these Japanese car companies, specifically Toyota, to create uh, a philosophy called Kaizen. I don't know if you've ever heard of this philosophy, Kaizen. Kaizen means change for good. And what that philosophy did is that it kind of tore down the hierarchy between business manager and uh, ground employee, and it empowered everyone in the organization to make changes for good, a Kaizen philosophy. So even if I'm on the assembly line, how can that assembly line worker look at the parameters that they have to be more efficient and effective and create a workspace so that they're listened, they're listening, they're listened to, and that they're creating these little changes for good. And if everyone's creating little changes for good, then the bottom line of the company will increase. Well, imagine, Mark, if we took a Kaizen philosophy to the schoolhouse. So whether you are the school secretary, to the principal, to the custodian, to the English teacher, the math teacher, the art teacher, and everyone is empowered to make little changes for good, that's going to help that school meet their vision and mission, if they even know what their vision and mission is, right? And be able to 
to do what they can do to meet these goals, that's change for good. So, so everyone has an opportunity to make changes for good. I, I remember one of the most uh, profound conversations I ever had going back to, you know, what I said at the beginning about listening to the, to the people that's around you to help you to become a better leader. I was in a school and one of the things that I ask when I'm meeting uh, school employees is, hey, what do you do here? I just ask a simple question. So I walked up to the secretary and I said, school secretary, what do you do here? And the secretary said, well, I answer phone calls, I fill out forms, I make sure the principal has everything that they need. Uh, and it's like, okay, cool. I walked to a classroom teacher and I said, hey, classroom teacher, what do you do? And the classroom teacher said, well, I, I write lesson plans, I keep the kids safe, I um, you know, make sure that I give grades, I try to do some fun things with the kids and so that they enjoy school. Cool. I walked up to the school principal and I said, hey, school principal, what do you do? And the principal was like, well, you know, I got to take care of the school. I got to make sure everybody's safe. I have to you know, make sure the parents have what they need. The teachers have what they need in order to have a good school. And then at the end of the day, after I was asking these questions to all these people that I was meeting when I was walking into the school, I, I ended the day to, with a school custodian. And I know what the school custodian does. I'm not stupid. Right. You know, I get it. So I walked up to the school custodian and I said, hey, what do you do? And that school custodian looked me in the eye and said, I am taking care of a school of excellence. Now, the only person in the school that for me that understood that school's purpose was a school custodian. So so when I go back to like a, that question that you had, like who's in charge of making a difference? We're all in charge of making the difference. It can't just be the school principal's job. But when you have a school custodian that understands the vision and mission, I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? Now imagine if that front office secretary could articulate that vision and mission. Imagine if that uh, school classroom teacher could articulate that purpose of the school. The principal, instead of what you do, focus on why you do it, Man, that could be the kind of organization that can move mountains. But that school had an opportunity. But that school custodian, man, got it. So don't don't count out your school custodian. Sometimes they know a lot more than you than you think. And that's like you say, where the the really listening element comes in, doesn't it? Because you're who, no matter who you are in the school, if you're having these sorts of conversations, you're going to pick up on this sort of thing. Like you're saying, that ability to feedback and to understand how that works is um, it's a really, really important factor. And I, and I, I, I love that sense of, of change, which is then possible, like you say, from every person, because it only oh, yeah. wants the right person or the next person to go, I see that now because it is a little bit kind of two sides of a coin, isn't it? It's not a little tweak here. It's that I'm thinking about it this way and that's going to affect every decision and every conversation I have with anyone else in the rest of that day, sort of week, month or year. Yeah. You know, the, the whole service and experience thing, um, I just think we take it for granted. Most of our school leaders have never had a single um, undergraduate or master's level class in creating service and experience for their customers. Like it happens in the business world. You might get it if you're getting an MBA, but most of our school leaders just have never had that training. And it's it just, it's just interesting to me. And like we, we talked a little bit about family, family engagement, family involvement. Um, I always look for more of like, what, how do we serve families? How do we give experiences for our parents and families? Um, how do we involve them and how do we engage them? And right now in America, I think there's a little bit of a of a disconnect between 
parents' needs and family needs and school needs. And it, and it can be very heavy political um, conversations. And I think oftentimes when we have families and parents that are feeling disenfranchised and marginalized and are speaking with sometimes a lot of visceral about things that are that they want in their school or things that they're not seeing in our school. I, I just think that that was because there was a missed opportunity opportunity earlier on to bring those parents and families to the table and really engage them and involve them in our school processes. You know, for my work, there's like four main reasons why parents and families um, are upset with schools or upset with their school leaders. The first one obviously is a lack of communication. You know, our, our school leaders, our, our teachers, we've got a lot of tools to be able to communicate, but we can't just communicate when something's wrong. We have to constantly communicate when things are going right. Because if you look for things that are going wrong, then you'll find them. If you look for things that are going right, you'll find those too. So for school leaders and, and schools that are listening to this, how do you proactively communicate your vision, your mission? How do you proactively communicate things that are going right with students and your, and your school? Or are you always communicating the things that are going wrong? Well, if I'm a parent and all I'm hearing about things that are wrong, how, how am I supposed to look at the school? The second issue is academic support. A lot of parents and families um, that are having challenges with their schools is because they don't know what's going on instructionally. I always tell parents and fam families like, hey, listen, these are our five top instructional priorities as a school. You know these just like we know these. Here's our goal. Here are our goals as a school. This is what you need to know as well. Here's how we're going to be teaching these items. Here's how you can help to support that. So that kind of goes back to communication too. But if parents don't know what's happening in the classroom, then they may get a, a sense of mistrust. And so we need to make sure that we're constantly communicating exactly what we're teaching to our to our students. And just saying that it's on the on a website somewhere isn't good enough. We have to constantly communicate in th those academic areas. The third thing is student discipline. Parents and families want to make sure that their kids are safe. Absolutely. And so I think that we need to be consistent. We need to be fair. We need to have a sense of of, of equity when it comes to um, uh, how we're dealing with with uh, challenges. But we need to make sure that our parents and families know exactly what it means to be to have a good, safe environment. And we need to make sure that we're communicating how we're going to deal with issues. And we also need to deal how to communicate how we're going to keep those issues from happening in the first place. And oftentimes, Mark, student discipline is a direct correlation to inappropriate education and relationship issues. So if we can make sure that our instructional program is solid and that we have good relationships and we're meeting kids where they are, as opposed to pulling them where we think that we need to be, then our student discipline is going to be fine. And then finally, safety. Obviously, we want to make sure that we have safe schools. So, But I can have a safe school and still have a friendly school. I don't have to run my school like a prison in order to, to, be, to be safe. And so these are kinds of conversations that I found that parents have consistent issues with. And, and and I think that if we can proactively address those, our service and our experience with our parents and families will increase. And I think for me, the, the key thing about having that sort of communication in a positive manner as well is really key. And also it not being such a big deal. And, and I know time is important and, you know, there's only so much anyone can do. They've only got so much bandwidth. But I think 
you know, having regular sort of fluid conversations, which reinforce everything that you said, um, mm. means that it then becomes part and parcel of the fabric of your life, which it should be because we're all, you know, integral to everything that's going on. The kids are in school for many hours, a large part of their life when they're growing up, you know, so it should be more than just the odd day in a year and that kind of thing. Because then, like say, any little tweaks that are happening, any ideas that you're doing, it all just sort of morphs and becomes part of the of the environment as a community and i think in that moment you kind of feel like you're definitely all part of the the same aim the same goal the same way of being yeah you know and it's you're going to have those moments where you're going to have upset customers right i mean if you're in if you're working with humans you're you're going to piss off humans i mean it's just the way it is and i always try to reflect during my time as a superintendent mark i i would i would answer thousands of phone calls from parents and families. You know, is school going to be open? Do we have to wear a mask? Do we have to have vaccines? You know, um, you know, you know, do we have opportunities to go to virtual schools or not virtual schools? I've, I've, I can just sitting there almost in tears when I'm just being yelled at. And, you know, and, and I, and I used to always remind myself that as I'm listening to every parent complaint or every teacher complaint, I have to use that as an opportunity to learn. And this is something that I have learned through some of the most tumultuous conversations that you can have. So I've got another acronym for you that I that I had to develop. And I remember my secretary and I, we would we would look at each other and we would say, hey, what did you learn today? What did you learn today? What did you learn today? Especially as we were dealing with the parent and family complaints and questions and concerns during the pandemic. So here's an acronym for you. So L, listen just listen. You know, God gives you two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's what my mom used to always say. So if you're, if you're talking to me, I just have to make sure that I put every distraction away and just be very intent with listening to what the customer is, is saying. And then after I listen, I need to really be empathetic. The E stands for empathetic. I've got to try to really see this conversation through their perspective. If I'm on the phone, I have to put myself on the other end of the phone, right? And I have to really understand that all parents, all families want the absolute best for their, for their child. All teachers want the absolute best for their children and for their school. Principals want the best. So I've got to always make sure that I'm empathetic to the, the person that's communicating this to me. So it's not just about listening. I have to empathetically listen. I have to really hear them, right? I can't be afraid to apologize. You know, just saying, you know, I'm really, really sorry that this is happening. Um, you know, an apology lets that other person know that there are, they are being listened to empathetically. And I'm not talking about like a, like a, like a disingenuous, you know, apology. Well, you know, you know, I'm so, you know, it has to really be meaningful. And you have to put your, you have to humble yourself and your heart when you're, when you're on the other receiving end of a parent that's upset or a family member that's upset. You have to, to lower your ego so that you can receive what's happening. So, so the A for me is don't be afraid to apologize. I apologize costs nothing, um, but you know, be apologetic about the situation. The R that I learned is you got to resolve this. You got to resolve this. Do everything you can to try to find some kind of resolution to the to the to the complaint. Now, it may not be perfect and it may take some time. You may need to buy some time, but you got to resolve that that issue. 
Um, even if it's just being listened to, sometimes that's a resolution in and of itself, but really work that R for me always stood for resolve the, the issue. And then the N kind of stands for check in. Like after we have a negative conversation or we were dealing with an issue, we've listened to them, we've been empathetic, we've apologized, we've tried to resolve. My last trying to tip to remember is to follow up with a phone call. Hey, Mark. Hey, thanks. I know you called me last week. I know we had that really uh, that, that concern that I was really, really happy that you brought to my attention. I'm just checking in with you to see if that resolution uh, was still good with you. If we can, we may not be able to bat a thousand with that, but that's how I was able to survive the pandemic, listening to thousands of parent complaints. I, I didn't just I wasn't just hearing people. I was learning from people. So I think that's something that I wasn't trained to do when I was in principal training. I was never, no one ever taught me how to do that. I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, I think that's key. And I think one of the things I'm also seeing a lot and I'm hearing a lot as we have more of these conversations is that, of course, as the, the workforce, you know, teachers and people in education are coming into the profession, a lot of what they've known is only what they're now seeing as well. You know, so the education system they went in as pupils and then studied in, look a little bit like it does now you know they haven't got that perspective of of sort of pre uh, national curriculum for example here in the uk or, right. or or this last version of testing and data gathering and all of that sort of stuff so mm. you kind of sort of step in and sort of reinvent the the same wheel or sort of keep that keep that ball going and like I say you don't have the perspective to do that but i think what i love about what you said is the fact that you don't need to have had an education experience which is different to that you just need to have had an experience which is different than that like saying whether that comes from the corporate idea or or just learning from people generally that that's a complete game changer yeah yeah you know and i think that's so imagine when you're in a school that gets that that creates a culture of service and experience um collaboration a, you know, a really strong vision, mission, purpose, you know, imagine, imagine, a, okay, so there's what, 24,000 schools in England, I don't know, private schools, public schools, I get confused sometimes, you know, with, with yeah. the nomenclature, let's say there's 24,000. If I'm a, if I'm coming out of university, you know, why do I choose the school that I choose? You know, why do I choose to leave my family to go into education, to go to another family? What makes that school, what sets that school apart from everywhere else? Um, there's 97,000 schools in America, right? Huge, immense. If I'm a new teacher, why, why do I choose the school that I do? Why do I leave the school that I did? I think it's now in America, 33, Mark, 33% of all first-year teachers leave the profession after the first year. 33%. That is insane, right? So why do we come to the school and why do we leave the school? We come to schools because we know that there are people that are going to promote an experience that's bigger, right? We leave schools because we don't leave teaching, we leave people. So, you know, and like when I left, I left people. I didn't leave the profession. I left people. And when people left me, they, they probably didn't leave the profession. They left, they left me. So we have to make sure that we are fighting a little bit harder, unlike that we've ever had to fight before to attract and retain a very limited pool of teachers. 
And we can't do that by just slinging stuff. We have to create experiences. We have to brand our excellence. Uh, there's 24,000 schools in England, right? So what makes school A the most attractive school in England? What is it that we have that is different from all those other schools? Every school has its fingerprint. Every, every school has its DNA. And I think that we, we lose opportunities to really craft what makes our school unique. And it's not so much about competition with other schools, it's competition within ourselves. How can each of those 97,000 schools work to be the best school possible for the communities that they serve? And do we share that mystique? Do we share that brand with everyone else for social media, word of mouth, the teachers, the community? You know, it's not impossible, but it's something that we just don't do enough of. You know, we're good with getting programs we're not so much good at uh you know talking about people we're good at slinging curriculum but we're not that good with slinging culture and i think culture is really what attracts people and retains people and that's a service and experience mindset yeah no, I, th I think it's fantastic and i think looking at it in through those eyes is really really key and, and from that sort of experienced idea you know is is there an education experience that you remember or a teacher that you remember that sort of, sort of typifies that that sort of way of thinking yeah i had a teacher in when i was in middle school uh her name was miss hart great name right what a great name miss hart <laughs> And one of the things that she did for us, and I, I, I was talking about this the other day, so that's why I, I kind of remembered it, is that she created, we were, we were reading the, I think it's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He was an English chap, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think he did a, a Hound of the Baskervilles. I think that was one of his stories. And so we were reading this story, um, but Miss Hart created an experience where she created a court system where there were jurors, there were lawyers, there was a judge, there were witnesses, we had to create evidence. So she brought this story to life through the eyes of like a judicial experience. Now, I remember that lesson because I was part of that experience. Had we had just read it and answered a few questions on a worksheet, I would not have, I would, there was no way I would remember that. Now. I don't know if she had it. Now, here's the here's the thing. I don't know if the teacher across the hall did that exact same experience or not. I have no idea because I was as a child. But imagine if that team got together and said, you know, as a team, we're going to create this judicial system experience on the story. Hound of the Baskervilles. We're going to bring in an art teacher to create the setting for this experience. We're going to bring in the music teachers to be able to maybe do the background music to set the mood for this experience. We're going to bring in our audio visual people to be able to capture this like a court TV. We're going to bring in our math department or math teachers working with these kids to bring out how can we incorporate like math with this? Can, can we just explode this experience? So it's not just happening in Miss Hart's room, but it's happening for everybody damn, that would have been amazing, right? So I take something like that as a child and try to find these experiences for kids through the curriculum. So Ms. Hart always has a special place in my heart 
as a as a kid so i'm glad i was able to share that story with you yeah yeah fantastic i I really love that and i think that whole experience thing from that point of view and like i say when it touches you and when you experience it like that you're going to bring that into into your profession like i say especially if you're going into education as well because you know in a sort of a fundamental level it's it's making that kind of that kind of impact Mm. um what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or indeed, is there a piece of advice maybe you give your your younger self now? And I guess that could be in a personal oh. level or, or even sort of an educational level sort of with your experience. Oh, man. You know, someone told me a long time ago when I was a, uh, a f- maybe a first or second year teacher. Um, I don't know. I was probably complaining about a kid or something or complaining about something. And uh, that teacher pulled me aside, my mentor teacher, pulled me aside and said, Nathaniel, just remember that every kid has your last name. And I was like, what, what, what does that mean? I didn't know how to respond. It didn't make any sense to me, right? And I didn't have children, my own personal children at the time. But when I did have my kids, right, as a father, then I remembered that statement from my mentor teacher. Remember, every kid has your last name and approach them as such. So whether you have children, your own personal children or not, the, be- the best advice to think about is treat them as if they are your family. Love them as if they are your family. Serve them as if they are your family. Make decisions just like you would want the best for your own children or for your own nieces and nephews or grandchildren or whatever. Like, why is it that your kids could have great experience, but those kids can't? Right. So that advice, whether you're a principal, a teacher or a superintendent, school board member or whatever it is, do we make a politician? Do we make decisions for all kids as if they are your kids? And I think that's always been something that I've always lived by. Yeah, love that. And is there a resource you'd like to share? And it could be anything from a podcast, video, film, song, book, whatever it happens to be, professional or or personal, but something that's had a bit of an impact on you. Uh, well, s- since you and I are musicians, um, the other day I was listening to Under Pressure by the two greatest English uh, you know, artists of all time, Freddie Mercury of Queen and David Bowie. I remember listening to Under Pressure and uh, I was like, damn, that's an amazing song. Every time I hear that song, I I just get emotional, right? And I just think about why can't we give ourselves one more chance? You know, that last line, that last hook. And I think that that song, man, is is just like really resonating with me right now because we all need, all of us coming out of the pandemic, we all need that, there's that next chance of excellence that's just sitting there, that's just waiting for us, right? And we can't buy ourselves out of these issues. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic elixir. There's no snake oil. Um, Keep investing in people, keep investing in, in, in culture. Um, keep investing in service and experience um, and listen to Under Pressure by, by Queen, man. That, if that song doesn't motivate you, I don't know what else is. I, I love talking about this. I, I, I wrote a book called Community Connections and Your PLC at Work. It talks about how school leaders can keep serving in, and engaging and involving and empowering their actual parents and families. Um, and so I, I write a lot of articles about this. So it's, it's just a it's a it's a passion of mine 
Um, I'm on Twitter uh, at uh, Proven Principle. I think it's Twitter now. Twitter X. I don't even know what it's called yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. That, X, that place yeah. that we know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, whatever the place is where you used to tweet. So um, it's it's at Proven Principle. That's one of the best ways to get a hold of me. And then I have a website, uh, www.provenprincipleLLC.com. Um, I work and partner with an amazing organization called Solution Tree that comes in and does leadership development, team development, all through the lens of professional learning communities. And then I also uh, work with schools to do customer service and engagement training. And I also work with schools to do family engagement. Um, and um, if you have listeners in England, call me up. I'll come to I'll come to, 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 to England and uh, work with your private or public school and and we can we can take it from there. So uh, but anyway, I, I love this. This is my mission. Uh, I my personal vision and mission is ensuring educational excellence for every school. And that's what I'm trying to do. Fantastic. And we'll make sure we've got links to all those things on, on the show notes as well. And just to go full circle with the acronyms, obviously, FIRE is incredibly important here at Education on FIRE, when, by which we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. And, and just what's the one thing that just suddenly strikes you when you hear those words? Uh, resilience is the one that stood that stood out for me, you know, when I was looking at that you know, we're not going to be perfect. This is not a perfect perfection, which makes it perfect, right? Education is not a perfect perfection, which makes it perfect. And resilience is knowing, at least for me, that we don't have the answers. We don't have all the answers, but do we have the questions? And I think school leaders need to understand that you do not have the answers, but you can search for the right questions. And that's what it means to be resilient, right? Is you know, f- not being afraid to try something new, not being a trait. Like if you've never thought about service or experience as part of your school culture, what do you have to lose, right? If you if you're not that type of person that that knows how to acknowledge and recognize or maybe create experiences for your teacher staff, what do you have to lose? So be resilient in growing and learning and cultivating the right questions to help you grow as a, as a, as a leader. So uh, resilience to me is about just, it's about courage, but it's also about um, being inquisitive about what's next. Fantastic. Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. There's so many takeaways there and I appreciate you sharing those stories and all that wisdom. So yeah, really appreciate it. All right, man. And I, I, I do appreciate you too. It's really been an honor chatting with you. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.